Father, bless us as we consider your word and think about our families, how to raise our children. Help us, Lord, to be faithful and diligent in that calling, to not grow weary in well-doing, knowing that in due time we will reap if we faint not. Bless us in all this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think this is our 10th lesson on uh, the fruitful vineyard, filling the earth with godly children. I'm guessing uh, that we will continue this through the end of this calendar year. Uh, just looking ahead as to what else I would like to cover. And today I want to uh, talk about family and culture. Peter Drucker, a businessman, made a statement that I really like because it's concise and it uh, is... is uh, Pointed, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture, that is the things we do, we might even say liturgy, our practice, the things we just do, overcomes whatever strategy we might have. We can have a plan, we can say we want to do this, we want to do that, but whatever our culture actually is, Culture eats strategy for breakfast. Your family has a liturgy. Your family has a culture. This is an inescapable concept. The only question is, what kind of culture does your family have? Not does it have one, but what kind does it have? And a culture that you're currently cultivating, whatever it is, that culture will be multiplied and perpetuated for future generations. In every place where your family culture is sub-Christian, that will be passed along unless someone intentionally interrupts it and replaces it with a biblical culture. I often tell young couples doing premarital counseling, you're in the case of marriage, you have a man and a woman, you have two cultures coming together, two family cultures, and they're now going to blend and form a new culture. And I always urge them to keep all the biblical parts of their particular family cultures, the things they were given by their families, hang on to those. But any areas where those things fell short, you should set out from the beginning in this new marriage to improve to make your new culture more biblical, more solid, more uh, to advance the kingdom of God, if you will, and to establish those new habits from the beginning. I always tell them, that's what your parents want. If your parents are Christians, they want you to do better than they did. They want you to learn from their mistakes. They want you to improve. And so that's a great place and a great time to start. This includes everything. Just to summarize it, to give you some examples, education, discipline, worship, TV, music, books, conversation, play, the table, food, art, conflict resolution, fellowship, travel, vacations, recreation, rest, chores, hospitality, celebrations, holidays, giving, labor, study, and everything else. All of it is included. All of it has to be biblical. All of it has to reflect the glory of God. It is your obligation to be certain that every aspect of your family culture is distinctively biblical. 
That's what Deuteronomy 6 is all about. When you lie down, when you rise up, when you walk in the way, the Word of God, it's written over the doorpost of your house. It permeates everything. I think we're sometimes tempted to think that child training is about a list of techniques and strategies, a list of do's and don'ts. When we come to see it, see it as comprehensive, though, we might feel overwhelmed. We want a quick fix. But sin and redemption are both comprehensive, and therefore they're going to require knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Most of us have never even thought about uh, how all of these areas of family culture must be transformed. Our goal is not to have good little boys and girls who mind their manners. The goal is to raise mature, godly, self-governed adults who love God and their neighbors more than they love themselves. Let me say that again. The goal is to raise mature, that is grown-up, godly, self-governed adults who love God and their neighbors more than they love themselves. If your culture, if your family culture, as it is right now, is not producing that, then something, perhaps many things, need to change. So I'd ask you, do you like the broad, broader culture as you see it? As you look out in the world right now, as you watch the news, as you see the culture around you, do you like what you see? If so, then keep doing what you're doing. And if not, then we, God's people, have to chart a new course. If you follow the trajectory of the broader culture, or for that matter, if you follow the trajectory of your current family culture, where do your children and your grandchildren land? Scripture tells us that we are to think in terms of our children and our children's children uh, and to therefore act in faithfulness to God's Word. All, all your plans, all your actions have to be thinking in terms of two or three generations ahead. In fact, the sons of Issachar in the Bible are commended for understanding the times in which they lived and for understanding what it is they needed to do. Do we really understand our times and do we know what to do in the church and in our families? Where are the deficits in the broader culture? Where are the deficits in our family culture and are those self-consciously being addressed in your home. You know what I mean by self-consciously? That means you're thinking about it. That means you sit down sometimes and you just ponder this about your house. What, what do we need to do? What do we need to do different? How, what do we need to change? And you talk about it, husband and wife, or perhaps the whole family has that discussion. What can we do better? What needs to change around here? That's self-conscious. This is not going to happen by osmosis. It's not going to just happen because you go to church or have your kids in a Christian school or you homeschool. It doesn't just happen. You have to self-consciously implement these things. And so, for starters, I would suggest that the broader culture clearly lacks leadership, respect, and love. 
And thus, our homes, which are outposts of the church, should be pictures of leadership, respect, and love. And we tend to think of our culture as something, uh, we tend to think of culture as something that is out there that is having influence on us. But a culture is found anywhere there is a community of people. It's, it's uh, through culture that our way of living is transmitted from one generation to another, to the next. As Henry Van Til put it, culture is religion externalized. This is another way of saying that our, our ideas or beliefs have consequences, and these consequences are always visible in our communities. If, if I could just you know, spend a day or two or three with you and your family, particularly if you were in my home or if I were in your home, I would never have to ask what you really believe. I could look at your marriage, I could look at your children, I could look at how you all interact, and I could determine what it is you truly believe without a word, because the fruit always points to the root. Now, obviously, we all have inconsistencies. Dr. Van Til used to say, thankfully, sometimes we are better than our beliefs, but oftentimes we are worse than our beliefs. We don't do what we say and think, and we fall short. And so we're in this struggle. I recognize that. But... It matters, uh, we might consider this the practical side of philosophy, uh, that, I, that is that our ideas have consequences, and it matters then what we think. Every idea, every belief produces a certain kind of fruit. Every culture is the product of certain ideas, whether you've thought about them or not. However, not only do ideas have consequences, but consequences have ideas. In other words, as I said, we can look at it from the other side. Sometimes I could just ask you, what do you believe? And you could tell me. Or I could look at what you do, and then that would tell me also. It, it works both ways. What ideas are producing the culture that we see, whether in our families or in the broader culture? What is the theology behind what we're seeing? Is God really the center? Is he really the Lord of your house? Is he the boss? Is he the one directing traffic? Is he the one that is telling us what to do when there's conflict and when there are other issues in the house and when it comes to child raising? Is, is he the one that is in fact the Lord? Many times the ideas have not been thought about in a systematic way. We either don't evaluate the culture at all, it just is, or the ideas seem to be random and unconnected. You see, we all do philosophy, we just don't all do it very well. Our philosophies are often haphazard and inconsistent, and as a result, the fruit of our philosophy, guess what, is haphazard and inconsistent. And since we are inevitably philosophers, that is, we inevitably have ideas, we must strive to be consistently Christian in our philosophy. And so a family, as we said, is a community and thus it always has a culture. Just as the broader culture influences family culture, likewise family culture 
influences the other cultures it comes into contact with. And I want to just say, for those who came in late, we started today with this introduction that was important. Uh, Peter Drucker said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So we're talking about the necessity of developing habits and culture of how we do things day in and day out. One way of putting that would be to say when it comes to the booths, or you can put, plug in your family name, this is how the booths are. This is what we do. This is our habit. This this defines our household. And so you should take your name and your, your last name and put your name in that kind of a statement and say, what is the culture of the Booth household or your household? That culture is going to drive everything else. And so the family culture is a reflection of its ideas and beliefs. Some people, are, again, are better than their beliefs, others worse than their beliefs. What we say and what we do are, of course, often in conflict. What we do, however, is the ultimate reflection of what we truly believe. Thus, we can look at a culture of a family and get a picture of what those values and beliefs really are. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, 4 and 5, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts, exalts itself against the knowledge of God, therefore we bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That is that self-conscious thinking about what we're doing in our families. I mean, you should be able to identify what are the problems you routinely have at your house. Is it interaction with other people? Is it conflict between parents and children or husband and wife? Are you doing what God says to do about that? Are you responding the way God says to respond? Are you doing it some other way? I suggest that if you're doing it some other way, it isn't working. Stop it. Put something in its place and obey God. Trust God. You say, I don't think that'll work. You mean for me to say kind words instead of harsh words? The Bible says it will. Do you believe that? Try it. Do it. Trust God. And you'll begin to see changes take place. It is therefore essential, again, that we develop this self-conscious, distinctively Christian idea and ideas, ideal and ideas about the family culture. What do you want the broader culture to look like? Then we should set out to make our families a picture of Christian culture. Now, our own views of a subject are often shaped by a variety of sources. Our family history, friends, media, school, pop culture, church, the Bible, all those get thrown into the mix. And we can't easily sort through all those influences and separate them because they are frequently jumbled up, if we haven't, especially if we haven't given them much thought. In fact, they're likely blurred in our mind and create fuzzy images. Therefore, if we are to learn to think more biblically, we must begin by a winnowing process by which we evaluate the ideas in light of a sound theology and replace the old ideas with new ones. Inevitably, we will find that we have to adjust our views 
casts off many erroneous notions and adopts uh, new and sometimes radical views, radical as in opposite of what we've been doing. Unfortunately, it is not uncommon for us to make minor adjustments and yet perceive them as major. I see this frequently in families. We speak to someone about something they're doing or not doing, and they make a 10% adjustment, but in their minds, that was a 90% adjustment. It was a little bit of improvement, but it wasn't anywhere near what really needs to take place. We've gone one mile in the right direction when in fact we need to go 100 miles in that direction. And so God created man in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness with dominion over the creatures, and man forfeited that in his rebellion, and and a perverted man was the result, a twisted, broken person who doesn't see things the way he should. All kinds of difficulty and misery ensued with conflicts in the family and culture and the broader culture continuing and expanding. And in the midst of the chaos, though, God sends his son, the firstborn of a new humanity, the new or the second Adam. And this new man, who also had knowledge, righteousness, and holiness with dominion over the creatures, is the redeemer of this fallen, broken man, the the fixer, the repair man, the one who comes to completely renew and renovate us, including our families. He is the model. He is the image of what we are called to be. So I guess one simple way to put it, uh, you... Husbands and wives, particularly I'll focus on husbands and fathers, your image, your model is Jesus. You're to be just like him all the time. That's the standard. That's the goal. You're to act like Jesus in the way you interact with your wife and your children. You are to be this picture of love and discipline and uh, righteousness You're to be an example. You're to model those things for your family. You are to sacrifice for your wife and for your children. And then wives also, you are to be Christ-like. And children, you're to be like Jesus. You're to grow up in all aspects into Him. He is the ultimate image we want to to, uh, conform to. And so... uh, Our transformation is our restoration to this true humanity. In fact, it's likely contrary to what much of what we have picked up along the way. Now, I don't know about you, but cleaning out my garage or storage room is a dreaded task. There's lots of junk we've collected over the years, and much of it needs to go. But if we want to build something useful as I often do, use my garage as my shop, then I need some space, I need some tools, I need some plans. And what we need to build a family culture uh, that we leave to our children, what we need to do is build a family culture that we leave to our children and our children's children. Wouldn't you like your children to have an easier go of it than you did? A better marriage right out of the chute? Wouldn't you like them doing a better job raising your grandkids? than you did raising them. That's what's at stake here. We want multi-generational progress so that when we look at the family over the years, over the decades, over the generations, 
we see advancement. We see the kingdom of God being advanced in powerful ways. And so, many times those plans look complicated. Uh, but in order to do, have this set of plans, uh, I need an image of what the project is going to look like when it's finished. And again, those plans may look complicated. I might wonder, can I pull this off? I remember one of the first pieces of furniture I wanted to build sitting in our living room, a bench uh, that a couple of people can sit on, a settee. And I remember looking at it in Fine Woodworking Magazine, thinking, I, I wish I could build that, and thinking, but I can't. But then I began to look at the constituent parts of it, each piece, the back, the slats, the arms. And I would think about that one piece, and I'd say, could you build that? Yeah, I, could, I think I could do that. And what about that piece? It's a different shape, and it's curved, and you've never built anything like that, but do you think you could learn how to build that piece? Yeah, I think I can. And so as I broke it down into the various constituent parts, I thought, well, I can't build that piece, but I can build all the parts. And then maybe I could put it all together and have that piece. And so... The project will often require me to acquire, thankfully, and to my wife's regret, new tools and develop new woodworking skills, which means making some mistakes. I remember building a baby bed for, I built, built one for each of my kids, for ultimately for all the grandkids, so, so three of them. And the first two, uh, one's for Aaron and Amy and for Rachel and Andrew um, were a mission style, which are all straight lines and relatively easy, what uh, in woodworking terms we would say a moderate skill level. Uh, I made the mistake of asking Kristen uh, what, she, I was hoping she'd just say, yeah, I want one just like theirs, and she picked out something in a magazine, and my first thought again was, I can't do that. And uh, in the middle of it, I was still thinking, I can't do this. I had, I think there were like 100 slats or something, 120 slats in the whole bed or whatever the number was. seemed like a million. Because however many it was, I had that many on the floor of my garage that didn't work. They were curved and tapered. And I had, I mean, I made so many that didn't work. And I finally got it. I finally figured out how to do it. And then, of course, and then... By the way, when I finished building that bed, I said, I'm never building another one of those. Okay, But the point is, sometimes these things are really, our first thought is, I can't do that. Let me say this to you. You can raise godly children if you want to. You have the instructions. You have the Holy Spirit. You have a church. You have a God that loves you, that's called you to do it. You can do it if you want to. You can do it if you will. And if you don't do it, it'll be because you didn't want to and you didn't use the instructions and the things God gave you to do it. No excuses. Now, 
It is almost always harder than I imagine it would be, but in the end, when the project is finished, I have created an heirloom in my woodworking, something that will be passed on, I hope, for generations. We all have images in our head of the way things are supposed to be over time, and over time, we become those images. Got that? It's not just an idea, but there's actually an image that we have in our head of what, where we're headed and who we are. This is why we have to be careful about what goes in, because what goes in eventually comes out. Our mental images are partly and, uh, and subtly formed from past experiences, our own upbringing and our own culture around us. Taking off the old man, that is the old images, and putting on the new man or the new image, images is essential to our ceasing to be an old man and essential to our becoming a new man. New images can and must be formed by the Word of God. Remember, his thinking is not like our thinking. His ways are not our ways. They're as far apart as the heavens are from the earth. So what do I need to do to get his thinking to become my thinking? I have to think his thoughts after him. I have to find out first what he thinks, and then give up what I think and adopt what he thinks about the nature of children about my own nature, about what my authority is, and about what the, what's going on in this process of raising children. I have to conform my thinking to his thinking and my ways to his ways. I have to have this new image. Thus, we are not conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. For us, as the new humanity in Jesus Christ, everything has become new Indeed, we are being conformed to the image of his son, and those old images are being replaced by the new images, and thus a new family culture emerges. And it's essential that we have before our mind's eye then uh, the picture of God's ideals, the ideal father, the ideal husband, the ideal wife, the ideal mother, the ideal children, the ideal household. These images will be grand, too grand at first. We all fall short of the glory of God. But it is His redemptive work, the work of the Spirit in sanctification, that moves us in the direction of those new images. And so we'll have to repeatedly refer back to those images. We'll have to be reminded, oh yeah, uh, Tuesday was rough. What, what am I doing and why are we doing it? Why is this important? Why should I get up and do it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day? So within the context of the broader evangelical church, we can hear people honestly attempting to speak to a corrupt culture and calling people to repent, but there's often no solid biblical culture to replace it with. And so our churches are too often filled with models, uh, uh, not filled with models of what a godly culture looks like. For that, we will first need some godly husbands and fathers to self-consciously form that image and then lead their wives and children to catch the vision of a family culture that honors our calling in Christ. What kind of adults do you want your children to be? Loving, sacrificial, hospitable, hardworking, 
intelligent, patient, kind, forgiving, leaders, so forth? Is that the kind of children you want? They don't happen by accident. You have to work to get that. You have to think that in every incident, in every situation, you have an opportunity to train them in those directions. Again, it's not about good little boys and girls minding their manners and staying out of your way. I think too many parents have that view. As long as the kids are not annoying me, then they're being good. Well, they might be being good, and they might be out of your way and not annoying you, but that's not training children to be godly men and women. That means you've got to get out on the floor with them. That means you have to put yourself in a place where they can annoy you and get on your nerves and wear you out. This is work. What kind of a husband or wife or father or mother do you want your children to be? Then you need to be that kind of a father, husband, mother, wife yourself. What kind of marriage do you want them to have? then that means your marriage needs to be moving in that direction. You say, but our marriage has problems. Yeah, well, what are you doing about it? You settling in? You letting that become the culture that your children grow up with? Because that's where they're going to start. That's going to be their beginning when they start in their new family. Now, back to my furniture building. When the project looks complicated or overwhelming, again, I try to focus on a single piece. I can build that. I can follow those instructions. I can produce that one shape or element that's part of the whole. But I will still need to see and remember the big picture. In fact, if I'm to ever see the project come to completion, I'll have to, again, refer to those plans often while focusing upon the particular task at hand. So read the directions in the proper order over and over again. I read them until I understand them. Don't read them if you understand them. Read them until you do understand them. Read them. You're going to read the Bible. I don't, I don't understand that. Okay, read it again. I read it eight times and I still don't understand it. Then read a book. Talk to somebody. Find out. Find somebody who is doing it and ask them how they do it. Get the understanding. Don't stop because it was hard the first time. The fact that it's hard, anything, think about that. Isn't it true? Most of the things you've ever done in your life that were really worth doing were hard. That's what gave them value. You overcame. You did something hard. But in order to do something hard, you've got to be persistent. You have to be knowledgeable. You have to increase your knowledge. You have to fail. And then when you fail, do you quit? Or do you do it again? Have you ever accomplished anything hard without failure? Now, every now and then I see somebody, particularly young people, who are really smart, really bright. One of my most dreaded things is a bright young man. Not because I don't love them, but because I know, uh, this guy's going to have a hard time learning. He's so used to knowing everything or thinking he does. And what he really needs is a few more failures before he's humble enough to really become wise because wisdom and smarts are not the same thing. Everyone here 
no matter how smart you are, no matter what you make on your, your uh, IQ test, everyone here is capable of wisdom. Not everyone's here capable of doing calculus. But everyone here is capable of being wise. But I know some people that can do calculus that aren't wise. Wisdom is walking before God, living in his word, trusting him, doing what he says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, God's word contains the plans and the directions for building a family culture. It's the church's task to maintain and instruct her members in God's word and to send her members out the doors Uh, to their various outposts where they self-consciously apply those lessons day by day. Indeed, it's a grand project with challenges and frustrations and failures, but with much help and much hope. The inspired scriptures are for what? All scripture is given for what? For doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be mature, complete, Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now that's it. I mean, you have everything you need in the Word of God to do this job if you'll use it. You have doctrine that'll show you what you need to do. Reproof tells you where you messed up. Correction tells you how to fix it. Instruction tells you how to do it better and keep, keep on the right way. And it says it is capable of equipping you, parents, to make you grown up, mature, wise, thoroughly furnishing you, not partially furnishing you, but thoroughly furnishing you for every good work. So if you see parts of your family culture that don't look right, parts that are not reflecting the images of the Heavenly Father or of Christ and His church, then stop doing what you're doing and replace it with something better. Remember, ideas have consequences. You need some new, old ideas in order to improve your family culture, in order to reflect the Father and Jesus Christ to the world. This is why sound biblical views of the triune God and theology are critical. It's the last theological book you read other than the Bible. You know, well, that's just for the theologians. No, you're a theologian. A theologian is someone who knows what God thinks about something. Do you know what God thinks about your kids and about your marriage and about your family? Do you know that? You're a theologian. We must know the persons and the work of God well, doctrine and ideas, since these form the images to which we will conform. Shallow or fuzzy images won't do. The Bible brings focus to the comprehensive vision of God's redemptive work, and that work extends as far as the curse is found. When God works in us, He also works through us to produce a godly culture that is transmitted to others, that is transmitted to the next generation, and we become the salt and light of the world. Now we're out of time because we need to practice a song before worship.
And so we're just going to stop there, and we'll take it up next time. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its promises, the hope, and the uh, information, and uh, indeed supplying all of our needs through Jesus Christ. Help us to be uh, godly parents and establish godly cultures in our home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.